Welcome back to Second and Short. It is Wednesday, May 31st, 2023. We are now 99 days from the beginning of the NFL season, and we are 87 days until week zero of college football. Brock, are you excited? I am beyond excited. There's nothing on TV to watch right now, and I cannot wait to have something to watch again. Yeah, um, I've just been trying to watch as much baseball as possible to fill the void that has been left by just so long so so long removed from college football. Yeah. It's been months since that championship game. I know. And, I mean, I love my Braves, and I loved watching my Ole Miss baseball play, but I need, I need football again. Yeah, definitely. It's hard to live without. But, regardless, there's always things happening. So, let's start with college football over the weekend. Some graphics have kind of taken over college football Twitter, and it's very hard to explain what they are. But uh, I think think I kind of get it. So um, just about every school is posting one of these and it's kind of like a satirical graphic. It, it pokes fun at the graphics that all of these like athletic departments and football teams post. That's like recruiting bait yeah. kind of stuff where it's just like fun fact about us, you know, we do this, <laughs> but I absolutely love what we've seen from these. So um, I pulled up a few. The first one that I had seen Brock had told me about, which was Ole Miss. Um, let's see. So, yeah, there's tweeted by Lane Kiffin. Says, okay, I got it pulled up. The only SEC school with a chevron that sells chicken on a stick. And, Brock, I know you have a, a particular opinion about this one. I mean, chicken on a stick, it's it's overhyped. I mean, everyone hopped on that Ed, Ed Orgeron train. It's good when you're drunk, but it's really just dry chicken. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't tried it. I would love to get out to Oxford to try it and, and see what the hype is about. See if it's all that Lane Kiffin is writing it out to be. But um, a few others. So Auburn, the only SEC school with a Bucky's. <laughs> that's not that's not a bad one. Um, I mean, I that's know, how it started. Yeah, I think South Carolina tried to refute that one because I think they have a Bucky's like relatively close, but. Um, Tons and tons of these. Michigan, uh, the only Big Ten school with a head coach that mows his own lawn. Um, that's a great one. And in the picture is like this graphic is hilarious. You have Ryan Day's face <laughs> right in front of the lawnmower. Obviously, this one wasn't put out by official Michigan, but uh, one of like the the fan pages. And then I like the Memphis one. Yeah, there is so many. Uh, Marshall. This was one of the first ones I saw as well. The only school in the country with a original Tudor's Biscuit World. I have no idea what that is, <laughs> but I'm sure it's good. Yeah, I want to try it. <laughs> Let's. See. So a lot of them have like this small text at the bottom. Let's see. This one says, Huntington is home to one of the, to one of Tudor's original locations. Everyone's favorite is the... What's this? Ron? I think it says Ron Biscuit. I have no idea what this is, but I thought this was a funny one to point out because I'm sure nobody else has one of these. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think I can argue with this one from Marshall. Um, App State, uh, the only school in the country with a double-decker Wendy's. <laughs> that's, that's elite. I want to go try that out now. Yeah, I want to eat upstairs at Wendy's. Yeah. However, you will ca- you'll you won't catch me dead in Boone, North Carolina. 
Fair enough. Well, it's going to be hard to go to that Wendy's. Um, let's <laughs> see, Texas Tech had a good one as well. Uh, the only Big 12 school with a um, – something about Prairie – yeah, Prairie Dog Town. <laughs> and it even has a mayor. Let's go. That one's pretty solid. Um, yeah, I don't think anybody's going to try and try and beat that one. I don't think anybody's going to be racing to get Prairie <laughs> Dog Town near their campus. Um, let's see. What else? Oklahoma State, the only Big 12 school with sweet pepper bacon cheese fries. Hmm. I don't know about this. I That could be somewhere else. Yeah, that, I think that one be. that one could be disputed. Um, let's see. Arizona football had a solid one as well. The only school in the Pac-12 with a dinosaur outside of a McDonald's. Yeah, I think that's a pretty easy one. To... If I was a recruit, I'm... <laughs> That's going to make me at least take a visit. Oh, 100%. Get my pictures in the uniform outside the dinosaur. Yeah, that's exactly – yeah, I want my photo shoot. I don't care about your little special, like, photo room yeah, or your yeah. backdrops, whatever. Get me in full pads and put me in front of that dinosaur at the McDonald's and take my picture. Yeah, I don't care that y'all are the wolf pack or whatever. Like, you're the dinosaurs they're now. the wildcats? I don't know. Arizona? There's something. Yeah, they're the wildcats. <laughs> Let's see. So, yeah, South Carolina – the only school in the country who claimed the closest Bojangles and Waffle House to their stadium. <laughs> All right. That's not a bad poll. I, that's certainly something I'd be looking forward to. Right after um, the game. Memphis, of course. I could have guessed that this is what Memphis is, was going to be. Uh, the only school with a Bass Pro Shops in a pyramid. <laughs> the, the eighth wonder of the world, it the is. Bass Pro Shop Pyramid. I also think it's like one of the largest pyramids in the world too, which is just so funny to me. Gotta be. It's like Bass Pro Shops and then Giza. 100%, yeah. <laughs> Let's see, who else had one? Um, USF, the only school with an on-campus Publix. Yes. That's solid. Dude, I'm, pub subs for days. So I'm surprised, I, maybe they did post one, I just didn't see it, it was Kentucky because they have the, the big blue Kroger mm. and it is a full decked out University of Kentucky Kroger. It's also has parking on the roof. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I've visited that one. It's interesting. Like they, everything in there is Kentucky. That's actually pretty cool. It's fantastic. Now, um, do you think the Publix at the USF you can use like your meal swipes and stuff there? That would be fantastic. I would certainly have a meal. I would have pub subs every day. Yeah. Oh, I already do, and yeah. I don't have a Publix <laughs> on campus. Like. If I had the option to do meal swipes for a pub sub, yeah, oh my you know God. where I'd be. Yeah. At this point, the lady by the in the Publix by KSU, she knows my name. <laughs> she is very nice, and she always says hello to me when I come in to pick up my sub. Very nice lady. And um, yeah, I I don't know which one's my favorite though. I I love the. I think Arizona, in my mind, wins. A dinosaur outside of a McDonald's. Just the fact that it's a dinosaur just wins. Yeah. Dinosaurs are dope. Yeah. I don't care how old I am. I don't even think it needed to be at McDonald's. It could literally have been in a random field. It makes it a whole lot better than it is in front of a McDonald's. <laughs> kind of checks out for Arizona. That's true. Weird folks out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's actually talk football now. It appears that the SEC is going to just keep holding on to this eight-game conference schedule, and it looks like they're not going to readdress this until possibly 2026. It seems like people are urging them to go to a nine-game schedule, but do you think this is an urgent problem? 
I definitely don't think it's an urgent problem. However, I do wish they would do that. Or at the very least, if they're not going to do a nine-game schedule, make force every team to have eight SEC games and one Power 5 team every year. Yeah, I wouldn't have a problem with that. I know, like, I think with the SEC is, like, if they can just continue to do these eight-game schedules and – it's not like ESPN, because it looks like right now ESPN isn't incentivizing them to mm-hmm. add another conference game or add a, a big game to their schedule. So if they're not going to give us more money for it, I'm not going to do it. Yeah, and I mean, it goes to like, all right, you put another SEC game in there. Now you have nine. That's a, more of a chance for a team of yours to lose and look worse for the playoffs. Yeah. So why would you do that? Exactly. It makes it a harder road. and. We are very well aware, we talked about it right before the episode, that the SEC uh, gets the championships. Oh, yeah. So putting anything in their way makes no sense to them. Yeah, and then on top of it, it's like every year when the SEC already at eight games, about half of the SEC, if not more, always ranks in the top 15 of the hardest schedule in the nation. And then usually about 10 or 11 of the SEC is in the top 25 of the hardest schedule in the nation. And then the rest are in the top 35. Yeah. So so already having all of them having the toughest schedules in the nation, and then you want to put on another SEC game, then it's going to be the top – we'll have 16. So the top 16 are going to be all SEC. And then it would just be unfair at that point. Yeah, exactly. Like, what's the point in – you know, it it seems like them adding a ninth game is just them trying to get, like – the top of the East to play the top of the West every year. Yeah. But that's not going to happen. Georgia and Alabama don't want to put each other on their schedules. Mm-hmm. It's just something that's not going to happen because they both know, with their best interests in mind, <laughs> the only time we should match up is the SEC championship game. Yeah. And that makes the most sense because why would you want to go in already playing once before yep. and then having to risk it again? It's just not worth it. Although I would like to see more – Games like Ole Miss versus Tennessee, Georgia versus LSU, Florida versus I guess Florida LSU play every year, but like more cross, uh, cross division. division. Yeah, it it's a lot a lot more fun. I think like you know there are a lot of rivalries that start like Ole Miss versus Tennessee would be a great game. Everyone I think would draw yeah. a big crowd every year. It'd be like the Manning Bowl. Yeah, <laughs> and then you have like I think like South Carolina versus Arkansas. They're about the same skill. They that would be a really fun game to watch every year too. Yeah, I think they're on a very similar level. But I do want to ask you about this because of you know this eight game schedule and talking about you know interdivision play. Are you a, a fan of them possibly getting rid of the divisions? Because it seems like the SEC is the only one that is for sure going to stick with it at the moment. I like divisions because it just kind of makes more sense to me. Yeah. Uh, I was not a fan of that pod thing. Yeah, no, that sucks. I'm not a fan of that at all. I think that's stupid. I would rather, if they're going to do anything, just stick with the half and half. And they just, it's just hard to regulate, you know, who's going to be on which side and know who's going to be good, which season and what, because it does change. Yeah, because like already with the introduction of Oklahoma and Texas, we don't really know who's going to move to the East. Mm -hmm. So are they going to move anybody to the East or are they just going to get rid of the divisions? Because it could happen, but, you know, geographically, I think the one that would make sense to move to the East is Auburn. They're kind of the next one over. So it would be kind of their only solution because you can't really bring over like, 
anybody past Alabama because mm. that's all the West. Like yeah. you can't have you know Ole Miss or Mississippi State in the East and then still have Alabama and Auburn in the West just because you want to preserve a rivalry. See, I thought about that. You could maybe even do like they could change just North South even. Yeah, they could. Put it, a, it would put really line, shake things up. It would really shake it up, but. I mean, just put a line, put, you know, you could do it all around, but having LSU... I think the South would be... The South would still be Yeah, the South would be hard. way better. Because, but if you were to, you know, keep Alabama, Georgia, like, separated... Yeah, I think you could, but still, the North would end up... They would just take Arkansas. Yeah. <laughs> possibly Ole Miss. Yeah, or you, you could do that. I because mean, Because you'd kind of just split up each state. Because, yeah. you know, Alabama... Well, I guess Alabama is in the north of Alabama. Mm-hmm. And Auburn is in the south side of Alabama. So yeah. maybe you split those two. But once again, you run into that same issue. It's cause, Well, it's like already, the <clears throat> SEC West is still the hardest division in college football. Yes. And I just... there, Like you said, there's the SEC is just such a powerhouse. There's just not too much you can do to make it even. Yeah, ex- exactly. I think... But then again, the only way of making it even is getting rid of the divisions. <laughs> yeah. And then, I, well, if you run into that, I think that would be more of a, you'd have the same teams, I mean, as if we don't already have the same teams every yeah. year. But I feel like without it, there's a little more competition because it's like, I don't know. It's just, it runs I through the whole it, thing. It, it keeps teams in it. Because, yeah. you know, let's say you're a team that if there was no divisions, you're like locked up for fourth place. True. But... You have the opportunity to win the SEC East just mm-hmm. because, you know, LSU, Alabama, and Ole Miss or whatever are at the top. Yeah. And, you know, let's just all hypothetical, Georgia's in fourth. They would win the East. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it does, you know, keep teams in it in certain divisions, but then on the other side, it's like, okay, well, these three teams have it. We're done. I'm very intrigued to see if they do decide to get rid of the divisions, how it would. Um, Oh, I just lost my train of thought. How it would... um? Oh, dear God. What was I about to say? <laughs> uh, scheduling. Yes, yeah. how they would do the scheduling. Because, you know, you want to keep those rivalries like LSU, Ole Miss. I mean, even though yeah. there's one between Arkansas and Ole Miss, kind of. You want to keep those games at the same time. And, like, you know, everyone loves to play. You know, you like Ole Miss, LSU, that's a rivalry. You had to play that every year. Yep. Mississippi State, Ole Miss, that's a rivalry. You had to play that every year. And then I guess like there's also the Ole Miss Vanderbilt. It used to be more of a rivalry, and there's a lot of meaning behind that game. However, you know that's something they both teams enjoy to play every year. It's like, you know. Yeah, I, I think it's hard, especially to go no divisions when mm-hmm. you're about to have 16 teams. Yeah. Because that means you know you, you can't play a 15 game schedule. Yeah. So you're going to be leaving three teams out of your schedule at the very least, Mm -hmm. because that would be saying that you're not going to play anybody outside of your conference, which isn't going to be the case. So most likely you're leaving, you know, five, six teams off of your schedule just so that you can play out of your conference. And yeah, like every year, no matter what, whether there's divisions or not, you're going to play, you're you're not going to play every single team in your conference. But I think that, you know, maybe if they did take away the conferences, the SEC teams would be more willing to move to the nine games instead of eight. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but let's talk about what Nebraska's president said, uh, Ted Carter. He said that Nebraska wants to be a leader when college athletics are directly paid, or sorry, college athletes are directly paid by schools. Hmm. So 
this is uh, just a weird way to start this because I think me and you have talked about this multiple times now that directly paying them makes it very interesting. It, yeah. it definitely changes how the the sport will be played and, and how recruiting works. But I think it's weird to kind of come out and say this because it, you know, you would be somebody that's pretty tapped in on what is happening in, you know, college football and with the NCAA and saying that, you know, when that happens, you want to be a part, like you want to be a leader, you want to be a part of it. I feel like this is kind of saying that this is a conversation in the NCAA. Yeah. And I think we kind of talked about it beforehand. The NCAA just let it loose and they're trying to fix everything now. They were just saying, hey, let's see what happens. And now, you know, it's just a greased up pig running around that no one can catch. Yeah. It's no, everyone, they don't know what to do, uh, how to do it. And there are so many different ways to go about it. And so I think it's going to be a, a while, probably a few more years before they finally make a decision of what they want to do. And I, I don't know. It's just, I just don't like the school directly paying. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of that either. But to, to go further with what uh, Nebraska's president said, he said that the NCAA may not be capable of leading with all the changes coming to college athletics. And I think he's right. I, I think oh, we've already 100%. seen it. Yeah. With the introduction of NIL through the NCAA, it's already changed a lot of things. And it doesn't seem like they have a full grasp on how to regulate it and, mm -hmm. and how to take care of these athletes. And it's, it's really showing. Yeah. But... Yeah, I think he's right here saying that they're not capable of leading, but I don't think anybody's leaving the NCAA. Like, that's no. not going to happen. We're not forming a professional league with owners and things for college football. That's not how that's ever going to work because they need some kind of governing body outside of just the you know owners or presidents of these universities. Yeah, and I do not think, at the end of the day, these sports are for these institutions of ed higher education. Yeah. The they should not be worried about paying these players and all that. That uh, I think that should all just be like kind of like the third party we talked about a few weeks ago. You hire a completely separate entity that is the GA or sorry GM and people like that, and they take care of it through the sports, and that should be separate from the school. And I think, like I just said. The NCAA released this like a greased up shit, uh, a greased up pig, and no one knows how to catch it, what to, how to what to do with it, and now you're in this whole kerfuffle. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's definitely caused plenty of problems, and I think what makes this more interesting is what Ted Carter said after this, saying that Congress shouldn't get involved in NIL. I think that, you know, yeah, it makes sense for them not to be involved, but if you're gonna say that the NCAA can't lead it. And then you're going to say that, you know, the the government that, fun, like, you know, runs all of these universities, uh, mm -hmm. at least a majority of them, shouldn't be involved in how the athletes that are students of the universities that are part of this government can't be regulated by the con by Congress makes it very much seem like you're just trying to create a college football league. Yeah. That is entirely separate from the roots of college football and what it actually is. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is, I, I don't know if that's really a possibility. I, I don't think that that could happen. It, it becomes this idea of like club teams almost forming a professional sports league. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I don't know. I've uh, every time I talk about it, there's just so much I don't even know where to begin. Yeah. So I think right now you just gonna, we're gonna have to keep going with what we have, and uh, as I said a few weeks ago, I think they should have started with way more regulations and rules, and then slowly you know pull back a couple of things that were a little extreme. You know, oh we'll pull this back, pull it back yeah. until you get to what's right. They just let it loose, no rules at all, and that's where all the problems came in. Yeah, and of course they did. Mm-hmm. I think everybody kind of saw it being... A, I think going into it, we thought it would have been more regulated. We yeah. didn't think that, you know, the day that it's announced, like, this guy gets a million dollars and this mm-hmm. guy gets a million dollars. Like, we didn't see that coming whatsoever. But now it's just become the reality of NIL and and the reality of NCAA athletics. And I think that... You know, the way that it's all been handled is rather poor, uh, mm-hmm. at least from the NCAA. And, but at the same time, I think that athletes and I think that like schools with their collectives and things like that have done a fantastic job of doing it by, you know, using their resources. Yeah, I fully agree with you. But let's talk about this. This stuff is very interesting. So Florida and Georgia extended their annual game in Jacksonville by two more years, so through 2025. Do you think that this rivalry game should always be played in Jacksonville? I mean, it's been played in Jacksonville since its, ince- since its inception. Yeah. I mean, why not? I, I like the idea of it down there. It brings a lot of money to the local economy. I mean, there's a lot of good things it does. It's Jacksonville is literally on the line of Georgia and Florida. It's a fun place to go. It's a little trip for everybody. I like the idea of it still being in Jacksonville. I like a good neutral site game. Yes, uh, I, I do. And we've talked about how, you know, this isn't exactly a neutral site because Jacksonville is wildly closer to Gainesville than Athens mm-hmm. or even just the, the metro Atlanta area that has so many Georgia fans that would travel down there. But uh, I I do think that Jacksonville is the home of that rivalry, and it almost garners to what that rivalry means. Mm-hmm. It's just a ton of people traveling in from out of town, and it's just it, it, it's a pretty good split. Yeah, it's a pretty good split of Florida and Georgia. And I think they do a great job that down there of you know this side is yes. Florida, this side is <laughs> Georgia. You know, keeping it like that. And I just I love it because it is. Uh, that's like to me like college football at its core. Yes, a great rivalry between two great, usually great teams, historically good teams, just having it out and I don't I and the fans that come down for the experience the weekend. Yeah, Georgia gives off Thursday, Friday, and Monday of that. You know, so there's a lot of things that go into it. Now I think they should keep it down there. It is good for college football. Yeah, I, I certainly agree, but. Just to kind of continue this conversation, um, we'll, we'll start here. Paul Feinbaum said that Florida State is not nearly as attractive as they think they are regarding a move to the SEC. See, I think Florida State would be more attractive than Oklahoma or Texas. I don't know about Texas. Yeah, okay, I would I do take Just that because back. Texas is such a powerhouse financially. Yeah, they make over a billion dollars. Yeah. Oklahoma is certainly a storied program, and they have a, a rich history, but Florida State, I feel like, has been bigger in the, in the grand scheme of college football history. I think that, 
you know, the teams led by Bobby Bowden and mm-hmm. the, the 2013 team with Jimbo Fisher, like this, this is one of the mainstays of college football all yeah. time has always been there. will always be talked about. Even when we have been so bad for the last couple of years, we're still getting talked about by everyone. Yeah. It's always like, Oh, well, like, yeah, they suck, but this player is very good. Like this is a first round guy. Like, there's always people coming out, and I feel like Oklahoma has missed on that plenty of times. Mm-hmm. And I think that Florida State, as a program and as a fan base as well, is much bigger for the SEC than what Oklahoma is going to bring. I agree. I think I think you're right there, and I think oh, Feinbaum said that just to get a little attention, and whatnot. Yeah, but he's also just in SEC through and through guy. Yeah. So I don't blame him. And I think he knows that like Florida State's not going to leave the ACC. No. There would be no point in it. They'd make a little more money outside of it, but why would he want to potentially go against the SEC schedule when you can say in the ACC, yep. cruise to the top usually and only have to play a Clemson, a, a Clemson team that could be good, that could be okay, mediocre, whatever. Same yep. with Miami and a few other ones. Like, Why would he want to leave that? Yeah, exactly. But to tie these last two talking points together – a guy went on Reddit, asked this question. I think it's a dumb question, personally. But he said, um, you know, does the UGA versus Florida rivalry survive if Florida State joins the SEC? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Florida State and Florida already play annually. Exactly. Like, yes, it will make the Florida State-Florida rivalry bigger yeah. than what it is now. But I don't think anything could ever change the Georgia versus Florida rivalry. No, Georgia-Florida is... Yeah, I, that was a, that's a very dumb question, especially because Georgia fans we we know several are all die hard crazy. Same with many Florida fans. You're not gonna nothing's gonna change that rivalry. It is a storied rivalry. It is yeah, dumb question. Yeah, like both of these rivalries have their place in college football history. Mm-hmm. But there's plenty of teams that play two huge rivalry games a year. Georgia themselves do like Georgia Tech's not hasn't been good in a long time. Yeah, it's still a historic rivalry game. Mm-hmm. Alabama plays Auburn and Tennessee. Those are historic yeah. rivalry games. Like tons and tons of t- Florida State themselves play two historic rivalry yeah. games between them and Miami and with Florida. So I, I don't understand you know what these people were going at with this question because I don't think it changes anything. I just think it makes. Florida State versus FSU, a little more interesting than it already was. Yeah. But I wouldn't even say that it's a bigger rivalry game in the SEC than UGA versus UF. Yeah, I, I fully agree. I think the most I'd come Florida State coming in is would be another just another big rivalry. Yeah. They would just get another – start a rivalry with someone else, like LSU or Alabama, Auburn, something like that, you know? Yeah, yeah I, I certainly agree. Uh, let's talk about this real quick. Tennessee – has sold out the entire allotment of season tickets for only the second time in the past 22 years. Wow. Yeah, 70,500 season tickets have been sold by Tennessee. That's all of them. And I think that people are finally starting to see that, yeah, this Tennessee team is for real. Even mm-hmm. though they lost a bunch of guys this, you know, to the draft this year, there's certainly a hype around Tennessee going into 2023 that – they're going to be right back where they were. Yeah, I think Happel's got them on a great path, and he will continue to lead them to excellence and potentially a win over Georgia for the first time in several years. 
and he's getting the recruits. He's doing everything he needs to do. So Tennessee fans are finally able to believe again. Yeah, and I'm I'm going to be honest. I'm happy to see it. I'm happy to see another good team to challenge Georgia right now in the SEC East because yeah, we've seen you know Florida and Georgia, and we've seen Florida dominate it themselves. We've seen Tennessee do it. You know, years ago, we've obviously seen Georgia do it recently, but. I think that a lot of things change, especially if UF can get back on their feet. Mm-hmm. Like the way that the East will look, if a couple of these teams kind of get their shit together, could be fantastic. And I think Tennessee, you know, seeing how much their fans are ready for this program to kind of get back on track, I think it bodes well for the future of the SEC East. Oh, yeah. And like you said, I really think Florida is starting to pull it around. Yeah. And Tennessee pulling it out, South Carolina. I mean, it, it's really looking good for the entirety of the SEC. Everyone, everything that's going on right now. So, it, it is a great time to be an SEC fan. Yeah, and just to keep it with Tennessee, former UCF and FSU quarterback Mackenzie Milton has joined Tennessee as an offensive analyst. So he's joining his former head coach at UCF, Josh Heupel, on his staff. I think this is great. I think Mackenzie Milton is a fantastic mind in football. Mm -hmm. He obviously had it. When he was at UCF, he was a fantastic quarterback. And then obviously that horrible injury happened. But even when he was on the field for Florida State, you could tell that this kid knew what he was doing. He understood the offense. He, you know, was able to adapt to an entirely different offense while also having to, like, relearn how to walk. Yeah. He is a a very smart guy, and he understands football very well. So I'm glad to see him getting a job, and, you know, hopefully we see him move up quickly because he's still pretty young. And he probably will. I mean, especially some with his experience and everything he's been through. A big thing in coaching is your story and getting people to believe you. And I fully believe he'll be able to get people to believe in him and trust him, and he will have success. Yeah, certainly. Uh, So this was an interesting article that I saw written um, over the weekend, I believe is when it came out, Uh, this one coming from Sports Illustrated, uh, written by Ross Dellinger, who's a a very popular reporter for college football, and this is an interesting one. Um, It looks like there's some very weird stuff happening with NIL uh, in, in the split of kind of the boosters and the foundations that fund athletics at universities and NIL collectives. Mm -hmm. Because the way that it's being done right now is the, the foundations that are funding athletics, which, you know, pay the coaches and, and pay for facilities and things like that. Those people are at odds with NIL collectives because it's not really the same people putting this money towards each other. And, it could lead to some very bad things in the future. If these two can't get on the same page, you know, what if a bunch of big money guys flip from donating to the foundations and start donating to the collective? And then now all of a sudden, you know, we can't pay this coach that much, or, Mm -hmm. you know, we can't pay for these new facilities because now we're paying these players this much more. Like, Right now, the average college football player, I believe that's just in the SEC, is making somewhere from ten to fifty thousand dollars wow. a year from NIL, uh, just from the collectives, mm-hmm. and you know the Grove Collective, uh, a huge one that you know you you know a pretty good amount, and I think just about every other SEC school probably has a collective as well, but 
I just think that it's weird because the foundations function through the university. Mm-hmm. NIL collectives don't. They're they're a complete separate entity from the NCAA. They don't you do anything on NCAA grounds technically. They don't function from there, but the foundations do. They have offices mm-hmm. in a facility, and these two theoretically can't come together if that's the case. Yeah, because. That would mean that the university is paying the athletes, and that's not what NIL is about. So, do you think that this could cause problems down the road? Do you think that, you know, having the foundations separate from these NIL collectives could cause issues down the road for, you know, either side? Well, I think this goes back to kind of what we were saying is you need to have, like, if since they are allowing paying the players, you need to have basically GM and uh, find of the finance people and just say, hey, all the money for everything goes through here and all of that. I also think that most people who are donating to athletic foundations are going to continue to donate to the athletic foundations because they know, like, oh, they know where their money's going to. They know all of that. They know what it's going to be. They know, oh, if I give a million dollars, it's going straight to this project that is building brand new locker rooms. It's going to be called the brought garland locker room you know yeah. like whatever it is so i think they there are those incentives of like these people have these money that they're going to want to continue to donate to the athletic foundations but i do agree it may start causing issues especially at places like texas a&m and they're not they're not going to be able to get the even with all these great facilities they're not going to get these players who's getting outbid from texas and other texas schools or alabama you know other schools around the country so I think in certain places it's going to be a bigger issue than others. Yeah, and another big issue with this is differing legislation in different states. You know, certain yeah. states you can do things that you can't quite do in other ones. And I know, um, you know, there's things passing left and right. I know Arkansas just had some, Oklahoma as well, and I think Missouri is like the most lenient. I think Missouri, you can just about do everything except pay for play. Like yeah, that is exactly what it's boiled down to now in Missouri with college athletes is. You can literally give them money for fucking anything <laughs> at this point, but it just can't come from the university's pocket. And I think that, you know, the the big discrepancy here now is that there are schools that are in different states that can't do that. Georgia mm-hmm. hasn't. Florida doesn't. Alabama doesn't. Like, they don't have the ability to pay players at the same, you know, standards of other states, even just within their conference. And... I think that that causes a lot of issues. Yeah. I wonder to what extent will it be the conferences start to regulate, okay, this is unfair that Texas A&M can get a booster to come in and give a million dollars in cash to a kid, but over in Vanderbilt, they're not allowed to, they can't even, you know, do whatever. You know, and the SEC decides to step and say, all right, here, here are the rules. You can donate directly to the athletic fund or what or the collective and you know do all these things and it has to be dispersed among whatever it may be and all of those things yeah i I think that this is kind of the next step in what kind of we were talking about the the nebraska uh president was talking about where you know the ncaa can't handle these things yeah and it's very obvious that they aren't Mm -hmm. and you know with you know state governments getting involved now it really changes kind of what we view nil as because now it's something where 
I think one of the states I read, you know, in this article, I can't quite remember which state it is, but as soon as you have committed in high school, you can start receiving NIL money in that state. Interesting. And that is absolutely insane. Yeah. I don't think, I, I think they need to come out and say, like uh, we were saying, the, the, they're taking too long to take action. And that's why all these people starting to lose faith in the, in the NCAA. Because I think that's a little crazy too. I don't think a high schooler should be able to make that money and do all that. Once you get on the university's campus and you're the university's problem, then they can start dealing with you and all that. But I guess I, you can make the argument, I'm pretty sure that, uh, well, no, I you don't think do that. So I'll retract what I was going to say there. Yeah, um, so just to fact check myself again, it was Missouri um, mm. that uh, you were able to earn compensation for your name, image, and likeness before enrolling at the school. Wow. That is crazy. Yeah. Like, that really changes things because that comes to a point where it's like, okay, this is where we get the commit to us and you get this money. Yeah. That is exactly what that is. Well, that's... Because it's like... Before, it's like, it's not like commit to us and get on campus. Mm -hmm. It's like, sign your letter of intent. Here's an NIL deal for, you know, you know, $20,000. Well, and that's so dumb because then you run into the issues like you did uh, with uh, Rashada at Florida. And that's going to, now that's going to start happening way more. And but it's really going to hurt you as a school mm -hmm. because you've already given them the money. Yeah, Rashada yeah. wasn't going to get the money until he was on campus. Yeah. So... You're going to give this money to this 17 or 18 year old that signed to you, but you don't even know. He can step back. Mm -hmm. You know, you can un your what is it, rescind a letter of intent. Yeah. And that makes it so much more risky to be sending these guys money. Well, I also think this is going to be a bigger issue for the kids because that's going to end up being a whole legal battle, probably. Oh, you, we've given you $30,000 already. All right, you send your letter of intent. All right, everything. We need that $30,000 back now. Yeah. The, it was only valid uh, the through the paperwork. You probably didn't have a lawyer or anything look through. And very small print says, if you rescind your letter, you lose all this money, you have to pay us back in full. And for all they know, that you know these kids, they're 17, 18 years old, probably won't make the best decision with this money. And how, where they get the money from to pay back these schools, you know? Yeah, so you're going to exactly. run into all these issues. Yeah, and one of the minor details from that Missouri thing is that the student um, that does, that can receive the NIL money after signing a letter of intent has to be to an in-state school. Okay. So if other states start passing this, like let's say Georgia, a state that, or sorry, a, a state that has a lot of athletes that go to the schools in that state, that means that tons and tons of recruits going to Georgia or Georgia Tech could sign a letter of intent and immediately start getting NIL deals before they even get on campus. Because mm -hmm. what you can sign them kind of whenever, right? Yeah, you after I'm, your sophomore year. I believe. Yeah. Uh, once, think once your sophomore year's over, you're yeah. allowed to sign. So you could have a junior in high school sign to Georgia. Yeah, he's going to be a highly touted prospect. You know, whatever. But he's 16 years old, and you're about to give him. Maybe enough money to go buy himself a car. Yeah. <laughs> and these kids are way too young to be getting that much money. They are. Because I'll tell you what, end of my sophomore year, if I got that kind of money, just 
thrown at me? Yeah. Just because I signed with your school? I'm like, I don't even know what the fuck. I wouldn't be going to school at that point. Yeah. I would be like, (laughs) look at me. I would be showing up the bare minimum. Yeah. Hell, I wouldn't even be playing football. I'd just be like coming to practice. Oh, I don't need to, you know. Yeah. And uh, there's just so many problems that go with it. I'm not a fan of that. Yeah, I'm not either. Uh, but I think that's going to do it for the college football conversation. Let's talk a little bit of NFL. So we're now officially closer to the NFL season starting than when the last Super Bowl was played. That's exciting. Yeah. Uh, last Super Bowl obviously being played in. February, um, we are just a day away as you're listening from June, which is crazy. We're flying. We're flying through. Only got really like just about three months now until college football gets started. But the NFL season quickly approaching and a lot of things are happening. So we'll start here. DeAndre Hopkins was released by the Arizona Cardinals. But the interesting part of this is because they did this, um, you know, at this point in this like in this offseason, they're going to be taking the full cap hit on DeAndre Oof. Hopkins. So $22.6 million in dead cap they're going to have to pay next year. Wow. And this move right here makes it pretty obvious that the Cardinals are tanking. Oh, 100% makes it blatantly obvious that they're tanking. Yeah. And, you know, who knows to, to what extent they will, they will tank. <laughs> but, you know, right now I got a feeling they're going to have the number one overall pick next year. They might have another one up at the top because they have Houston's pick next year, and who knows how Houston's going to be. But I think with this, it is very, very interesting for the Cardinals. You know, do we see Kyler Murray leave? You know, pretty soon because he's kind of getting to the point where they could trade him. He's getting a little bit later into that contract extension they gave him. There's the possibilities of him getting traded, but you know, what are the Cardinals looking to do with this? Because there's a lot of things that could happen. Honestly, I wouldn't blame them for wanting to trade him, get a couple more early round picks and a few drafts, pick up Caleb Williams first overall or Drake May, one of them. I mean, Kyler Murray is good, but I've never really been too high on him. He's a good quarterback and all, but I think if you could get Caleb Williams or Drake May, two quarterbacks who definitely have potential to be the next big thing, I wouldn't want to pass up on that. No, no, I wouldn't either. And, I think that's why tanking kind of makes sense for the Cardinals. They're in a horrible spot right now. Yeah. Because just a couple of years ago, they're playing in the playoffs. They have a great team. You know, DeAndre Hopkins, J.J. Watt, Kyler Murray, like all these guys were playing very, very good football. And all of a sudden, they've hit this wall really last season. And now it just seems like everything's falling apart. You know, Cliff is gone and Mm -hmm. everything is just changing around that facility. So I I think that, you know, the changes they're making are warranted. But it's such an interesting fall from grace that we've seen. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think the big thing with Kyler Murray is they brought him in with Cliff, right? Yeah. So I think that's the other thing is they'll probably end up trading him because he was brought in, be Cliff's quarterback, be the big thing. They made it into the playoffs that first season with him, or second season, whatever it may, whatever it was. But it was definitely uh, I very interesting. I'm gonna be very intrigued to see what they do because I would definitely wait, trade him, try to get rid of some of that uh, big money they gave him, and get a couple good picks for him. Get Caleb Williams and just build up my team. Yeah, he new coach, new everything, just fresh start. 
Yeah, I think that that's probably the route they're taking yeah. at this point. If you've got the first pick next year and you don't take a quarterback, that's kind of surprising because it mm. seems like at the moment right now the consensus is that this is going to be a quarterback-heavy draft yep. and you know we're probably not going to see – yeah, we'll probably see some top-tier defensive players, but maybe not some that are worth the first overall pick mm. over uh, a, a Caleb Williams, a Drake May, whoever else. Even Joe Milton, I'm hearing things about him being like a top 10 pick. I so, mean, insane arm talent. It's truly. We saw it at the Barstool office. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think that there is um, some interesting discussions to be had about what's happening with the Cardinals, but also what's happening with DeAndre Hopkins because he's going to play on a team. Yes, he's 30 years old. He's also got the most receptions at any point, or he's got the most receptions through their age 30 in NFL history. Wow. So he's definitely a guy that you still want on the roster. And he's going to cost you some money, but there's a lot of teams that could use him. There's a lot of teams that could use an elite number one wide receiver. Obviously, the Chiefs have been the talk, but the money's kind of an issue in Kansas City. And I think the Bills are another one that possibly could go after a wide receiver, but I'm not a fan of that move. I think the Jets are a possibility, but... They've kind of loaded the wide receivers as well. Yeah, uh, I've seen kind of the Falcons being a long shot, the Panthers as well. There's just about every team might as well inquire. Oh, yeah. You know, see what he's thinking money-wise, see what they can do. But I really don't know what team he's going to end up on. Yeah, he could really go anywhere, and I don't think he's – and it's not going to be a super long deal. Like you said, he's 35. So I think you maybe get two, three years out of him. Maybe. And then, you know, that of him, if he's still superstardom, probably being a solid receiver. So, yeah, I'm very intrigued. Because like you said, he really could go anywhere. Yeah, he, he certainly could. And he's got the option because of yeah. his talent. And I think that makes it way more interesting because every team could use a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, mm-hmm. no matter what. Oh, Even yeah. the Raiders, who already have Devontae Adams, could use DeAndre Hopkins. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think that there's some insane potential, so it's going to be something I'm definitely following closely, trying to see you know the rumors, see who's talking to them, see what's up. But uh, let's talk about this, because just a couple of weeks ago, we were sitting in this exact same spot, talking about the Lions having some players get suspended, and look at it. The NFL is investigating a fifth player from that Lions roster last year for a potential violation of the league's gambling policy. This is just like, when when is it going to end? When, yeah. when are they just going to... I I still think it's kind of the NFL's fault yeah. at this point, especially after what Jameson Williams was asked. So he was at Lions uh, Open OTAs, uh, spoke to reporters said that he didn't know the league's gambling rules and that he doesn't know when he violated it. So it makes this a whole lot different because you'd think the NFL would be sending around, you know, rules compliance officers to speak to these teams, let them know about these rules. Because mm-hmm. Jameson Williams was a rookie last year. If nobody told him, then the Lions and the NFL together did not do their job correctly in setting this young player up for success. Yeah. Uh, you got to tell them. They got to know the rules. Uh, I just think the gambling room's rules are very dumb. However, I understand them. But it's one of those, it's like, ugh. Yeah, well, when it's become such a big part of your sport, especially 
like you know the reemergence of, of sports betting within these last couple of years with the legalization it's it's obviously made it very difficult for professional sports leagues yeah but if you can set down very obvious and you know very useful guidelines for what these players and staff can and cannot do it makes your life a whole lot easier and if the NFL isn't laying down these rules in the proper way mm-hmm. or you know at least the, the roster like these franchises aren't laying down these rules in the proper way you're not just fucking the players over you're fucking yourself over in this situation yeah because now we're gonna miss out on six games of jameson williams who we already missed out on almost a full season of him last year and it just seems like they're beating themselves up with these rules that it seems like they're not properly telling people about yeah you would think that when you get drafted and you go you sign your paperwork all your contract all that you would have, it would be like, okay, here are the most basic rules you'll have to follow. You can't do this. You can't do, can't gamble on your own team. You know, can't do this, that, the other, whatever it may be. You know, it's just like an orientation process. Yeah, there certainly should be. Or even just the whole rookie class, like every single franchise should at least have to get together their rookies every mm-hmm. year and present them the rules. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that, this is something that the NFL has done wrong. I think they've handled this improperly. Obviously, suspensions make sense. They broke a rule. But, like, if I break a rule and I don't know what the rule is, I'm assuming I didn't break a rule. Yeah. And I'm going to be pretty mad if I get punished for it. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is ridiculous. And you're stopping this guy from doing his job yeah. because of it. So I wonder if, uh, you know, any of these could become a legal case or anything like that. I mean, there's not enough grounds for it, but yeah, almost just being like, "Hey, like you did not, I was not ever, I was never given the proper instruction, proper whatever it may be." Yep. You were and not letting me do my job, make my make a living, whatever, and just say, "Hey, like you know, let's figure this out." Yeah, I think the the tough part is that their employer is their team, yeah, and not the NFL. The NFL is just a governing body over their team, so. I I don't think they would have the grounds to sue the NFL exactly on this. They, yeah. But if they could certainly have the grounds to sue their employer, which is the franchise they play for. Yeah, and even if it's just like a, if they can just get the basis to, for the NFL to come, like, all right, we're going to make an, a rule for na- yeah. league-wide. You have to have a three-day class, and yeah. all your rookies must attend every year that states all the rules and procedures we have. Yeah, it, it should be no different than... You know, somebody getting a job somewhere and they have to do, you know, mandatory OSHA training yeah. stuff. Like, you know, every just about everybody has to do that with mm-hmm. every job. And you have to do, you know, sexual harassment training. Like all these different trainings that you have to do as part of your onboarding should be a part of NFL, like, teams. Yeah, I fully agree. Because it is a business and mm-hmm. they are their employer. This is their job. And the fact that you're not properly preparing these people for their job is a bad reflection on you mm-hmm. and is really hurting you more than that. Yeah. Um, this is just wild. Le'Veon Bell, <laughs> he said on the Steel Here podcast, uh, obviously a Steelers podcast, that he smoked weed before NFL games. He said, I'd smoke and I'd go out there and run for 150 for two touchdowns. <laughs> 
God damn it, man. Why? <laughs> Why'd you have to come out here and say it? Because now... Every running back has a good game. Yep. <laughs> the next day, hey, you're being subjected to a random drug test. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They'd be like, you look too chill on the field. <laughs> it's just like... Le'Veon just can't help himself, man. Like we are, like he already got busted for it. Yeah. So like I get coming out and saying it now that you're not playing, but that's insane that he was just smoking before games. Yeah. Oh my god, Le'Veon Bell is such a character. I'll be honest, he is so entertaining. The Steelers had a few on that roster. Yeah, they they sure did. A couple of uh, interesting fellows. <laughs> yes. Uh God. <laughs> but let's talk about some news I was very excited to see. Brock Purdy is expected to resume throwing this week. Uh, puts him just a few weeks ahead of schedule and, and could bring him back fully for training camp. This is a fantastic sign for Brock Purdy because yeah. I was kind of worried that if he missed training camp, that Trey Lance would have his job. Yeah. At least, you know, in the beginning of the time that he comes back. Mm-hmm. But... I think at this point now, I I think it's getting safer to say that Brock Purdy will be back for the beginning of the season and most likely 100% for it. And, you know, hopefully we get to see the same guy we saw last year. Yeah, and I still think that there there is a bit of a quarterback competition between them mm-hmm. because Trey uh, Lance was, what, a top 10 pick? He was top five. Yeah, big time pick. Brock Purdy obviously had a good season. Really good season, well, but he was, in the grand scheme of things, not considered as talented. And so, you know, I think this will be an interesting offseason, and potentially whoever becomes the starter, the other one I could see possibly getting traded. I don't know about traded, just for depth purposes. Yeah. But um, they're certainly going to be interested in it, because mm. they're both two talented quarterbacks. Obviously, we haven't seen Trey Lance really do it on the field, but... Brock Purdy, we have seen him be yeah. a very, very good player. And I think that they both have reasons to be a starter on an NFL team. So if you do bench one of these guys, it's going to be hard to keep the other around. Yeah, I, I agree. But I want to get your take on this because I think this is an interesting move. The Saints brought John Gruden in. Uh, just like flew him into New Orleans to kind of pick his brain on their new offense with Derek Carr. So obviously John Gruden being his former head coach in uh, Oakland and Vegas. But I don't know how I feel about this move. I, I think it, it it makes sense, you know, former coach and, you know, getting just kind of his idea on what he thinks Derek Carr's strengths are and, mm-hmm. you know, what kind of offense he runs best in. But at the same time, don't you think that this should be more about getting your offensive coaches together and you know your head coach as well and figuring out what works best with Derek Carr, not yeah. asking a former coach what he thinks best? Yeah, I find that very interesting. They didn't just have their offensive staff together say, "Hey, this is what we want. This is what we think. Yeah. This is what we see. I've seen in previous film with him. This is what we're running. This is how we think it's going to work with him." That's very interesting. They decided to bring in. And maybe they said, hey, this is what we're doing. What do you think? Like, you've been with him for several years. Well, you know, obviously they had a good relation. They were they had a relationship, whether good or bad. They had a long relationship together, coach, head coach and player for several years. 
So it makes sense of why they wanted to ask him, but I, I agree with you. It's very weird they brought in a previous coach that's got nothing to do with their team in to ask questions about. Yeah, uh, I think it's interesting. And it could also have just been like a, like outside of just the offense, kind of trying to hear somebody else's perspective on the kind of player and the kind of person that Derek yeah. Carr is. Obviously, we know kind of who Derek Carr is at this point in, in his career, but getting a coach's perspective of what he saw from him and what he saw, you know, in the best and in the worst of Derek Carr, you know, what he really thinks he brings to this team. And I get that perspective, but I think there's other, you know, avenues of finding that out. Yeah. Yeah. I I fully agree with you there. Uh, This one, it's just kind of sad to see. Uh, Andy Reid went out and said, that the fullback as a position is being eased out of the NFL. And I hate that. I, I, I think that too. the fullback is such a fun way to mm-hmm. run an offense. Like, yeah. you know, seeing guys, even the Chiefs have done it with Andy Reid at head coach, with Anthony Sherman and uh, Kyle Juszczyk for the 49ers, uh, just so Patrick Ricard for the Ravens, like using a fullback has been a big part of the NFL and, and like the history of the NFL having it's that strong yeah that strong downhill runner like just can block like there to block can run nothing stopping that guy yeah. and i think that that was like the the antith- or the uh, the epitome of that hard-nosed brand of football that we have kind of seen go away yeah and I don't think that's going to – I think a lot of teams are going to move away from it, but I think the fullback will always be there because it is necessary to run certain plays. and You have to – there are times you have to play hard-nosed football and you need a big boy right back there to just lead – be your lead blocker and just decimate somebody. Yeah, I definitely uh, agree. Uh, but while also saying that that position's being eased out of the NFL – Andy Reid confirmed that the Chiefs will not have a fullback this year. Yeah, and I think what most teams are going to do is they're not going to be drafting fullback specific players. However, they're going to have they're still going to have players on their team that can play that uh, that that spot there. I forgot. I think some people call them a, a Z bat. What many people call them different things, but there are many things you can do in the backfield with them. And I think there will be a lot of players tight ends more specifically that get moved back into that position. Yeah, I think so. And we already kind of see that there is teams that use fullbacks as tight ends and tight ends as fullbacks because, you know, they're often a similar build. Yeah. Guys like Adam Troutman, um, even uh, with the Falcons, I think Parker Hesse as well. Mm-hmm. Um, like different guys like that, that you can kind of use both both as a fullback and as a tight end, but I think that the fullback position certainly adds a different dimension to an offense. You have this lead blocker, you have this hard runner, and you also have a guy that a lot of times can catch passes out of the backfield. So, yes, I get it. We're kind of in this age of it's a pass-first league, of course, and the premier players are the running backs, or sorry, the quarterbacks, and then the running backs are just kind of the fast guys, the elusive guys. Obviously, some of them still strong runners. Yeah, and some Nick of Chubb, the best. Hunter, yeah, of, Henry. Of course, but it's not that same kind of. It's not the yeah. same kind of back. Yeah, and I mean, me personally, I've always been a run first team. I if you can run the ball successfully, you're going to win a football game. 
And, I mean, you can see that even with the Chiefs having Patrick Mahomes, they've, in all their Super Bowl wins, they've been able to run the ball so effectively, it opens Patrick Mahomes up to do all those, his crazy, insane, freakish abilities. Yeah, I, I think that it's a big part of the success of a passing offense is how good your running backs are yeah. and how well you can utilize them. So, you know, seeing that teams are just not using fullbacks kind of sucks because there is teams where they've got multiple running backs on the roster and they put them in the game at the same time, mm-hmm. but, you know, the blocking prowess just isn't there. Yeah. So I, I think that this is just kind of part of the evolution of the offense we're seeing in football now. Yeah, and I think, it, I'm like I said, we're still going to see them there because it's like when the offense was evolving to being a more pass-heavy uh offenses that came around the new age offense if you may um a lot of defenses started switching to a three-man front and they've instead of getting your big tough beefy linebackers that run a seven (laughs) flat 40 you have these smaller guys that can run a much quicker 40 but aren't nearly as strong and can't take on a lot of things and you see a lot of you know almost like safety size linebackers coming in and then defense kind of went away and then they found the happy meeting, and we have these strong, fat, you know, really strong guys that are also quick. So I think we'll end up back in a few years going back to having a fullback position because everyone's going to catch up to the, the scheme of the passing and how to defend that properly. They're going to have to bring back the run being big, more dominant in the running game. Yeah. You know, we've seen air raid offenses in college football, and they historically haven't been all that successful against teams that know how to play them. Yeah. And I think that that's what we're going to see in the NFL as well. I think that, you know, if your quarterback's gone out there and they're just passing the ball, they're getting 60 attempts a game, Mm -hmm. teams are going to be able to counteract that. And I think that's going to be the problem. Yep. Um, This was just something I saw. But, (laughs) um, you know, the age-old question, not not really at all, but – um, that question's been answered. Christian Watson is faster than Olympic gold medalist Simone Biles. <laughs> In case anybody was wondering, Packers uh, now going into a second-year wide receiver did beat Simone Biles in a race over the weekend. <laughs> um, he actually almost tripped and ate shit at the beginning of the race, but recovered, better. recovered and, and beat Olympic gold medalist gymnast Simone Biles. So in case you were wondering, yes, he can run faster than her. Yeah, the four foot seven <laughs> has the what like she every time she every time she takes a step it's like what two inches like yeah, yeah very <laughs> small human being versus like a, a six foot something wide receiver yeah his stride is like yeah. seven yards hers is like two <laughs> uh, you should be able to win that come on you should and it was short distance but um, I do want to ask you this question because I saw this one on Reddit and this was a good question. Um, so NFL coach, this is a, a hypothetical, of course. Um, NFL coaches should have one week a year where they have to be like a col- or be like a baseball coach and wear full uniform on the sidelines, like pads and all. <laughs> what head coaches in the NFL would you like to see in full uniform? Uh, the old ones, like Bill Belichick. Yeah, Andy would, Reid. Yeah. It'd be so funny to see these old guys just yeah. like. <laughs> I think Brandon Staley of the Chargers would look like every punter. 
<laughs> he would look they'd be like, like somebody would look like the special teams coordinator would run over and be like get out there man. like the punt team's out and he's like That's I'm, I'm, I'm your man. boss <laughs> that would, I, yeah that, <laughs> like imagine, there is some there is some NFL head coaches that I can't even imagine seeing them yeah. in football pads well and then you'd see like the ones that are just like pure athletes like yeah. Marco Ryans and yeah, Sean McVay Mike yeah all of them <laughs> All these like ex players just in there looking like they belong out there. Like, yeah. it'd be so funny to see. It certainly would. I just, I can't even get the image of Bill Belichick and Andy Reid on opposite <laughs> sidelines in full uniform, <laughs> helmet and everything. Oh, that'd be. So, I, I'm just thinking about like college coaches like Lane Kiffin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> even he wouldn't have the Nick Saban. Then. Yeah. Nick Saban would look funny in his full <laughs> uniform. Nick, yeah, all because he's getting yeah, old, so Mac he's drinking. Brown. <laughs> like, get like the real old. Big well, then you guys, have people yeah. like Kirby Smart, and he'd get yeah. too into sort of headbutt players. Yeah, he would. And, and get violent. Yeah, dude. Him and Brian Kelly would start hitting people. <laughs> dude, you'd have like the Georgia sideline. You'd have a uh, oh, must Kirby, champ. And... <laughs> yeah, Kirby Smart must champ would just actually <laughs> go out on the field and hit people. <laughs> They'd be like, "I'm, I'm going in the game. You're out." <laughs> Get out of here. You messed up too many times. <laughs> I bet there's been times where Kirby Smart was like, this linebacker's not doing what he needs to. Oh, let you, me get let me get out there. You know there's been practice where he's line up against me right now. <laughs> one on one Oklahoma, let's do it. <laughs> just puts on a helmet. Just I think Kirby's insane enough to do Oklahoma without pads. Oh, one hundred percent. He just gets friggin' like McCobe, like Jordan Davis. <laughs> Or, yeah, just like, hey, right now. Yeah. You know, he... Yeah, Kirby Smart versus Jordan Davis. <laughs> I would put my money on Kirby. Sk- oh, yeah. But he can move a little yeah, bit. Yeah, dude's insane. Maybe, let's do, uh, let's say, Trayvon Walker versus Kirby Smart. I don't know who's winning that. <laughs> That'd be a Trayvon one. is huge. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting for sure. I think Mike Norvell would look funny in past yeah. as well. He would also look like a special teams player. <laughs> Uh, I'm just like coaches <laughs> like Jim Harbaugh. Yeah. Like, or you have like Sam Pittman, his big gut sticking yeah. out. Ryan Day wouldn't even know how to put on the pads. Yeah, he'd be like, everything be on backwards. <laughs> he'd, he'd have like one arm through the head hole yeah. and like, how he, do you do this? <laughs> he would need somebody to like strap up his speed flex. <laughs> Guys, I never played. What, what do I do? <laughs> All right, let's run through a few MLB things, and then we'll get to the top three, bottom three. Uh, this was fantastic to see. Liam Hendricks made his return to the mound less than five months since his first treatment for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Came out, um, pitched for the White Sox. Just fantastic. Like, the the stadium was roaring for Liam Hendricks' return, and what a fantastic story. Like, yeah. Oh, my God. That's very exciting to see. Yeah, just absolutely insane how fast he was able to come back. Yeah. And like, they activated him off the IL like two days ago, and everybody mm-hmm. was like, "When's he gonna start?" Like, and and I'm I'm so happy to have seen him get out on a mound because he was, you know, going into when this all came out, he was like a, a top three, top five closer in the MLB, and seeing him back and still chucking is fantastic. Oh yeah. Um, another guy that we're familiar with, Angels prospect and former Tennessee standout Ben Joyce, 
was chucking in his MLB debut. Yeah. Holy shit. He threw 12 pitches. Uh, I think he came in for the seventh. 11 fastballs. One slider. I think the slider clocked at like 89, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. But 11 fastballs. Every fastball he threw was 100 plus. Wow. Uh, on those 12 pitches, 10 strikes and maxed out at 102.2 miles per hour. Wow. So, um, this was a pretty quick call-up as well for Ben Joyce. Yeah, he was pitching two two years ago. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, he was on the Tennessee team that everybody was like, oh, shit, like, they're, you know, really making a run. Like, they, what, they went, like, almost undefeated. Yeah, and then they lost in, like, the regionals. Yeah, and <laughs> he is already up for the Angels, and after this performance, probably going to stay there. Oh, yeah. Uh, another flamethrower here, Spencer Strider. Is the first pitcher this season to 100 strikeouts. I believe it's the fastest by like .2 innings. Yeah, I think the fastest was DeGrom, DeGrom at 61 and two-thirds. Yeah. So, and he got it at 61. Yeah. Spencer Strider is an anomaly. Oh, yeah. Like just an absolute freak. Um, but in that same game, the Braves beat the Phillies 11-4. Fantastic Offensive showing from the mm-hmm. Braves, a, a very good recovery from the two straight losses. And we saw two home runs from Matt Olson and quite the performance for Ronald Acuna. A triple, he went four for five, three RBIs, just fantastic showing. I think Riley homered in that one as well. But as well as that one, the Dodgers and Rays played one hell of a series. Uh, but, you know, as it always goes, the Rays come out victorious. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> how they're they're – Insane. Don't they have like the second lowest uh, salary cap? Oh or yeah, they've they've got one of the lowest salaries um, like in the league. They're just absolutely insane. And it was a great series, though. I think the Rays took game one, Dodgers took game two, and then a very close, I think, eleven to ten victory for the Rays um, in that in that third game on Sunday. But just. So, so crazy. Uh, I'm pulling up the box score right now. Yeah, 11-10 to victory and just a fantastic (laughs) series. The game winner uh, on a home run from Isaac Paredes in the bottom of the seventh. But these two teams are crazy. The Rays, (laughs) 39-16. The Dodgers, 32-22. Like, absolute insanity. It's literally like one of the the highest – Paid rosters against the lowest paid rosters. Yeah, <laughs> it is. And like the third highest against the second lowest or something. Yeah, and also, just looking at the Rays' record at home, 26-6. and six. Wow. And they and nobody goes to those games. No. That stadium's a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's not even in Tampa Bay, I don't think. It's like No, it's, way it's out. in St. Petersburg, and yeah. it's on its own island. <laughs> yeah, no wonder no one goes to the game. <laughs> All right, well, I think that's going to do it for MLB. Not... Too much big stuff going on, but um, as we move in towards like July, that's when it's really going to ramp up in the MLB. But for now, let's do top three, bottom three. We're going to do BCS slash college football playoff championship games. So we're only doing 2006 and on. That's when the BCS officially became its own separate championship game. So I've got the first pick on the top three. Brock's got the first pick on the bottom three. I'm just going to go ahead and get my homer pick out of the way. 2014 BCS National Championship game, Florida State beats Auburn. I, I just, I needed to. I, I can't let that one get taken. Yeah. That was a good game. For my f- 
most favorite game I've watched. There's several. And I think it's going to be the, I believe it was 2017, Clemson over Bama. Like, last second, Hunter Renfro in the end zone in Tampa Bay. One heck of a game. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Um, I think I'm going to go 2020, LSU beats Clemson. You know, obviously we've talked about this game at <laughs> at nauseum, but such a good game though. Oh I mean, my that, god, that year, that LSU team that yeah. year was just insane. Yeah, and Clemson was as well. Like Joe Burrow versus Trevor Lawrence, and then two number one overall picks. Yeah, just fucking ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, your second pick. My second pick would have to be 2016. Bama and Clemson, where Bama won the year before. Another down to the wire, very close. Alabama comes out. I believe that's the game that put – was that the game that put Nick Saban tied with Bear Bryant? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. That, that – I mean, it was a great game. It was just great teams. Very entertaining to watch. Yeah. I think – man, I'm, I'm split between these two. I mean, it's the same two teams matched up. But I think I got to go 2018, Alabama beats Georgia, uh, like the, the overtime touchdown yeah. to Calvin Ridley. Just crazy. And like the Jalen Hurts and Tua. Yeah. Like all of that going on while Georgia has kind of reemerged mm-hmm. as, you know, a great team in college football. Just an absolutely fantastic game to watch. Well, yeah, you took mine. That was going to be my third one. <laughs> However, I'll take the 2022 Georgia versus Bama. Georgia's first title since Herschel Walker days, 1980. Very much, and just solidified that Georgia's back. They're here, they're the top dog. And, I mean, great game. Obviously, by the end of the third quarter, we all knew Georgia was going to win. Yeah. I mean, just a great game all together. Yeah, the Keely Ringo interception to lock it up. Oh, yeah. Just absolutely insane, like, atmosphere in uh-huh. that game. Oh, yeah. So, Brock, you've got the first pick on the bottom three. I'd love to hear what you've got. I think the bottom three, it's very obvious. Number one overall pick, Georgia versus T- uh, TCU. Yeah. 63-7 in championship. TCU had a run, whatever. I don't care. They didn't should not have been there. They got absolutely embarrassed, demolished, and honestly, I don't see them doing too well this year. No, they're definitely not running it back. That's no. for sure. <laughs> But I'm going to take 2013 Alabama beats Notre Dame. Uh, kind of another story of, like, this team shouldn't have been there. Notre Dame should not have been there. Yeah, I believe it was 42 <laughs> to 14. Yeah, it, it was something ridiculous. And I, I'm pretty sure this was, like, Manti Teo played in this game. And, and he was, like, the star of Notre Dame. Yeah, and didn't the whole thing just happen with him and the – yeah. Yeah. Just such a weird, weird game, and Alabama just beat the brakes off of them. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go with 2021, Bama versus Ohio State, COVID year, and that Alabama offense just – Ohio State's defense could not stop them. I don't think there was a single stop. And then Alabama's defense as well was really good and just shut them out. I believe the final score was like 40-something to 16, something like that. Yeah. Absolutely insane game. Um, uh, I think I'm going to go 2007, the first BCS National Championship game. Uh, Florida beats Ohio State. This one was just 
Like, an absolute beatdown by Florida. Ohio State just really wasn't that good. Yeah. Didn't have that great of a roster. It, they just simply made it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, certainly didn't fight for a championship. Yeah. Speaking of a team that you would think they were, they would do better, but I'm going to go 2019 Clemson versus Bama. Another just straight blowout. Clemson just annihilated Alabama. Alabama played a good season, had a good season, had a good playoffs, if I recall, that year. But for some reason could not figure it, The just could not fit it in the yeah. final game and just got blown out by Clemson. Yeah. And then I'm going to take 2015 Ohio State beats Oregon. It was the first ever college football playoff championship game, and I feel like it just didn't quite live up to what it should have mm-hmm. been. I think it was. Ex- I think the semifinals were ten times as exciting of games than the championship game that year, and like they had big names in this game, it just didn't live up to what it should have been. Yeah, I think that year it was mainly the whole. Oh, look, a three and four seed can yeah. come through, do this, you know, whatever. And then you get to the championship game, you're like, oh, I'd much rather see one and two. Exactly. It's just going to be a better game. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that Florida State versus Alabama would have been way more entertaining. Way more entertaining. I mean, Florida State, or Florida State Ohio State would have been more entertaining. Alabama, yeah. Ohio State was more entertaining. I mean, Oregon was a good team that year. I just don't think they really had it in the end. And Florida State, of course, did choke away in that playoff. They were just did not yeah. seem prepared. Typical Jimbo Fisher move, though. Truly. Truly was. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Um, that's it? Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's that was, um, I think we both had pretty good lists there. Pretty good, yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that we didn't take picks from each other that, that much. I think only two. Yeah, I think only two. So, I think that was a pretty good list. I think this was a pretty good episode in general. Oh, yeah. Brock, I appreciate you coming on. Anytime. Always having a, a, a fantastic time. Uh, and I want to leave the people with a, a fun fact here. Um, Miami has never beaten Norman Junior College in Georgia. Um, they played them in 1931, but Miami has never beaten them. So Oh, they never Miami beat South fun. Georgia College either. Yep. Obviously. Um, they've never beaten Millsaps. Sad. Yep. Or the Alabama JV team. Correct. Yeah, in 1931 as well. They really sucked in 1931. Wow. They lost to Western Kentucky, South Georgia College, Norman Junior College, and the Alabama JV team. Wow. Just a rough year to be a Miami fan, I guess. Brutal. Yeah. Miami sucks. Maybe (laughs) if you guys would beat Millsaps, I'd take you seriously. But, um, yeah, I think that's going to do it for us. Brock, always a pleasure. Peace.